Bienvenue dans l'Alcove. Aujourd'hui, on reçoit Martine Saint-Victor. Welcome to the Alcove. Today, our guest is Martine Saint-Victor. Donc, on va faire une petite intro parce que, comme vous savez, c'est enregistré en balado. Donc, on veut s'assurer que tout le monde comprenne bien c'est qui qu'on rencontre aujourd'hui. Donc, stratège en communication, Martine Saint-Victor a fondé Milagro Atelier de relations publiques qu'elle dirige maintenant depuis 15 ans. Mmh. Aujourd'hui, une figure quasi constante dans les médias. On la voit à RDI, on la lit dans le Huffington Post et le Montreal Gazette, et on l'entend à CBC Radio et Radio-Canada, entre autres. Émissaire de programmes de diversité et d'inclusion du Startup Fest de Montréal, Martine siège sur le conseil d'administration de la fondation Campé, une fondation qui supporte les familles les plus vulnérables d'Haïti. Elle siège aussi sur le conseil d'administration du magazine Séquence et c'est celui du Musée d'art contemporain de Montréal. A great lover of both Hemingway and my personal favorite, Barbara Walters. Martin's reach and understanding of the world spans across countries, colors, ages, and cultures. Martin, thank you for spending this evening with us and giving this very lucky group a chance to pick your brain en franglais. En franglais. Welcome to Alcove. Thank you. So, I, I have to say, yes. it's very, I don't know if you know how they approach people when they, when I, I, I got the email, I, I really did something like, who, who are they sending this email to? And it's not false modesty, it's really because I'm a fan of this uh, platform. I champion it when I can. And <clears throat> the people who, who've been here before are people I, I admire, I, I love. And so, and then that you guys bought tickets, because it's not free, that you bought tickets, you, it's very humbling for me. I'm very happy to be here. I didn't know it was here. They put me in a cab. I didn't know, I hated that, by the way, because I, <laughs> I didn't know where it was. But I have to tell you, I'm very, very happy to, to be here and to be with you guys. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for that. Mm. So we'll make the most of our, uh, our chat tonight. In true Alcove tradition, we like to start with a speed round to get to know you mm -hmm. a little bit better quickly. So say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. What are three qualities that you have that make you proud? Um, I'm a homebody. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I like to stay home. And I'm proud of that because it's, it means I created a home I'm happy to be in. So that. Um, You said three? <laughs> Give me two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm loyal. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that's important as well. And that's about it. Okay. <laughs> hardest mandate you ever took on in your PR firm? Um, the hardest one is... The hardest one is working with... Um, at the time, he was candidate for presidency of Haiti. Um, Michel Martelly, he was a laughing stock when I, when I got the mandate. We will talk about this. <clears throat> yeah, and so, um, but he became president, so obviously something worked. Um, it, was, it was difficult, but it was um, my favorite mandate. Yeah. What's a random award or recognition you feel you deserve? Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no. If you haven't noticed, she's quite modest. No, so. no, no. You don't, it's funny you ask me that because. Mm -hmm. You don't, I don't know that you deserve any awards. And it's funny because I, I, I watch the Oscars a lot and the Emmys and the, and even if you have a great performance, you don't deserve an Oscar. You get to do the work that you do, so you don't deserve it. I don't know that 
you know, you can be the best accountant. It doesn't mean you deserve an award. I, I find that we're in this, we always need this, these symbols to underline our work, but we don't need them. And I think it's dangerous that we, that we live in this space where if we're not recognized, it's not enough. If we're not recognized by a prize, so I don't think we deserve, you know, you deserve a two-week vacation, I'm sure about that, right? Yeah. I don't know that you deserve an award. I find it, I find it's a slippery slope, so no, I... That got dark real quick. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> yeah. On a scale of one to 10, how funny would you say you are? Obviously, I'll say 10. Obviously. <laughs> um, I don't know, but the favorite thing for me is when I make people laugh, which is very, I, I love that. And, and, you know, I have a tough crowd in my family. Mm. Um, so if I make my, my mom laugh, I know it must have been really funny. <laughs> and so, and sometimes, and Liz can attest to that. I mean, I call my brother about 10 times a day, and sometimes I say, am I calling you too much? He's like, no. And then if I don't get a laugh out of one of the calls, I'm like, oh, something's missing. Call him back. Yeah, <laughs> call him back. So I, I'll, I'd say 10, but you would have to ask my, well, my well, parents. Well, take your yeah. word for it. Yeah. Um, what is a movie that you can quote from start to finish? Uh, Breakfast Club, yes. uh, 16 Candles, St. Elmo's Fire. There's a theme, huh? <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, Moonstruck yeah. with Cher, which I, I love this movie. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's a, that's a lot of movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and probably every Sex and the City episode. Same. There is, yeah. Same. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is the color of your bedroom? White, all white. Most cherished item in your closet? <laughs> I wear a uniform, so I have like white shirts, blue shirts. It's all the same. Very so, Steve Jobs. If you want, yes. Uh, so no, I don't have, they're all the same, so but I do love them like children. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, the place that you travel to most often? Haiti. Right. The person that you travel with most often? I travel alone a lot, mm -hmm. so I don't know how to Yourself. answer that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A true pop culture icon, do you remember where you were when Princess Diana died? Yes, I was about to move to Miami. It's the day before I left. <clears throat> yeah, I remember. Favorite TV series? Oh my God, that's like Sophie's choice. I don't know, it's uh, <laughs> uh, favorite TV series. They don't have to die. Uh, Sopranos. Mm -hmm. um, Sopranos. Veep, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, Curb. There's a lot, I'm a TV junkie, so there, there are a lot. I know I'm missing things and I'm gonna come back to it you for come sure. Back to yeah, it. okay. Where do you get your news? <laughs> a lot of places. Yeah, a lot, a lot of places. I, I think it's very dangerous when we only have one source. Yeah. So French, English, uh, when I lived in Miami, I, I tried to, uh, the Miami Herald has a Spanish section, so mm -hmm. it's the exact same thing as the English section. So I used to try to practice my, my Spanish by reading an article in English and then in Spanish. So um, the Miami, and I still read it, I mention it because I still read it today. The Miami mm -hmm. Herald has some of the best reporting on Latin America that exists. Okay. Yeah. Uh, craziest thing you ever did for a client? <laughs> <laughs> this year? Uh, no, not this year, but I, th there are two things. I have a client who came to give a conference in Montreal. It went super well. And then at nine, he says, I need to go uh, to a strip club. And 
I'm like, solid, okay. Uh, he's like, now. Like, he couldn't. <laughs> and, and, and I called my brother. I go, I need a solid right now. I go, I need you to go with my client to the strip club. He did, but he didn't like it. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so that was one thing. And my, the first year I had my company, I, had, I did uh, the PR for um, a singer mm -hmm. who was at the Francophonie. Francophonie. And he was on at 1 p.m. And so it was him, and he had seven musicians. And I, he, he calls me, he goes, we're not going anywhere until we get weed. Oh. I go, what? <laughs> he goes, we're not leaving the hotel until we smoke up. And I go, uh, OK. I went to buy drugs for eight people <laughs> in my car, drove it to them. So imagine if I had been arrested, because it was a massive amount. Oh, God. <clears throat> and so today, I would never do that. I would hire somebody to do that, right? <laughs> okay, so, uh, but that, was, that for me was inexperience, um, you know, wanted to please at all costs, but also it's because I wanted them to go on stage, because you don't want uh, the people from the festival calling you to say, where are you guys? Oh, and so, but I would never do it that way today, obviously. Yeah. First person you text in the morning? Uh, probably, uh, probably Isabel, yeah. Your best friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're close with your family, obviously. Do you guys have a motto or an unspoken uh, thing that you say to each other? Yeah, I'll come back to you on that. I'm not sure. Do we? Think about it. Mm -hmm. And last question. Last time somebody told you that you looked exactly like Regina King? Uh, Oscar Knight. It's crazy. Yeah, Oscar Knight. Can we just take a moment to look at her for a second? Oscar Knight, yeah. All right. Not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's go. So we will definitely get uh, to your work and your life today. We want to learn about you know, everything that you're doing. But before we do that, I want to talk a bit about your childhood and your upbringing. So you're originally from Trois-Rivières. Mm -hmm. And your parents, both Haitian, came to Trois-Rivières first mm -hmm. from Haiti. Tell us about your childhood upbringing. What was that like? Um, it was, I have to tell you, it was super. Um, we were. My parents arrived in 1967, um, first in Cap de la Madeleine, which is not even Trois-Rivières. It's even smaller than it's across the bridge. <clears throat> so my brother was born in Cap de la Madeleine. I was born in Trois-Rivières. It was, I went to Catholic school from kindergarten to grade four. We moved to Montreal. Um, I was grade, f grade five. And it was a very nice upbringing. And I do believe that the fact that I grew up the only black kid, and I, we were three black kids in, in a school of 600. And I really do think it's part of, it's part of my tissue yeah. because you realize, because I realized that, you know, kids are, I think fundamentally people, everybody's good. I think kids are curious and I don't think, kids don't, don't, are not born with bad intents. So the fact that I never, never had um, um, suffered any racism whatsoever mm -hmm. makes me believe that things can always get better. And now that I'm an adult, I realized that I never heard my parents complain about anything, but I know they had to deal with a lot. And so sometimes when I'm quick to, I'm about to complain about something, I hold back because I go, come on, 
whatever it is I'm going through, there's mm -hmm. no way that it's tougher than what they being a through. Haitian immigrant in Trois-Rivières in 1969 or 1970. So, oh, yeah. that's, so it was a great upbringing. I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, called the Sac Street. It was very simple. It was a, it was a very simple time. Uh, I don't know how kids live today. I don't have kids yet, but it was a very simple time. So I, I, I feel lucky that I was born in that area. And you have fond like, memories. Yeah, yeah. So when you were nine, you moved to Montreal yeah. with your mom, and that was a completely different world, clearly. Yeah, loved it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think it was probably the first time you were really exposed to bilingualism and also biculturalism. Um, no, because the, the thing is, I grew up very close to my American cousins. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once every either Christmas or Easter, uh, we would drive to New York. They didn't speak a lick of French. So you had to find common ground. Um, and also, I had um, a cousin um, who lived with us because she's from La Tuc, if you can believe that. Mm -hmm even more hardcore, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Latuc did not have a CJEP. I don't know if they have one now. So she came to Travia to live with us, and she was, she was the original Beyonce. She was like, she won Miss Teen, Trois-Rivières, and she went to Miss Canada, and she's just like this gorgeous, I'm telling you, the original Beyonce, and I'm actually named after her. Her name is Martine as well. We're 10 years apart. But she was so into Happy Days, like mm -hmm. the TV shows and American TV shows. So that was my first introduction to the, to the Anglo culture. And then with my American cousins, you had to, il fallait trouver une manière de communiquer. C'est un peu comme ça que j'ai appris à parler en anglais. Et by the time I, I arrived to Montreal, I was ready for prime time. I mean, I was, I was so, I mean, the, the, the t this is the moment I knew I was ready to leave Trois-Rivières. At the time when, and I think I told you this yep. story, at the time there wasn't a law for movies. Now when the movie comes out in English, the same day has to come out in French. Thierry, ça va? And um, so at the time it wasn't the case. A movie came out in English, it could come out in French a month, two months later. So I came to Montreal once on a weekend, I, I saw E.T., the movie E.T., I was crazy about E.T., bought the shirt, <laughs> loved it. Go to school, wear this t-shirt. It was hot pink with the E.T.'s the face. face of e <laughs> and so these two idiots, two kids, uh, go to me, what is that? Who is that? Is that your brother? Is that your family? <laughs> and, I, and then I go, that's E.T. You don't know. And by then, E.T. had taken over the world. I mean, <laughs> and so I'm like, you don't know about E.T.? They're like, no, what is E.T.? I was like, about I'm, I'm out, out of here. here. <laughs> I'm ready. I, and so at that moment, I knew. I was like, I love this town, but I have to get out of it. Like, I was, I was ready. Yeah. Um, so you get to Montreal. Obviously, you're still close today with your family, your mm -hmm. brother, obviously. What role does that play in your life? That is my, and I, you know, I'll say it to anybody who will listen, I, my two greatest assets are my family and my friends. My family is, I mean, we're very close, but you have to realize we're not, I don't come from the generation where you say, oh, I love you. That's not my generation. That's not my, and Haitians, I don't think, I don't think this, this is, I don't think this is us, right? This is not how we show our love and appreciation, but we're very tight. Um, and my friends, I have different tribes of friends. I have friends, like Candice and I have been friends since we were nine. I have, you know, Isabel, my best friend. We've been best friends for over 20 years. Um, the, one of the greatest surprises of my life is that I made friends at 40. 
that I know I'll be friends with when I'm 80. And so friends and family, for me, my greatest assets, for sure. So obviously, I think a pillar in your life is definitely cultural diversity. It's very important to right. you. So I know that you're, you're drawn to other cultures, and specifically the Jewish culture. You right, used right. to go to bar mitzvahs you know, right. every two weekends, and yeah. you even made uh, a show on, on Evasion about Israel. Right. Where does that come from? Well, when I came to Montreal, the first three years I went to Marie-France, which was extremely diverse. And I had a lot of Jewish friends. So it is true that on my 13th year, a lot of bar mitzvahs. So it was, it was fun. It was great. And then, you know, life uh, went on. And I got closer through various uh, channels to the Jewish community. And it was always, for me, um, there was always a connection, and it took going to Israel for me to understand the connection. And the connection is this, and I got a lot of vitriol for it, and I don't care because I still believe it. I think Haiti and Israel have a lot in common, mm -hmm. and the, this is what they have in common. After the earthquake in Haiti, my friends in Haiti had two reactions, the ones that, that were of adult age. If they were in a bad relationship, they got divorced right away. If they were dating, they got married because they understand the urgency of life. And this is what happens in Israel. They, they have no choice. This is, they understand the urgency of life. And I think both people in Israel and people in Haiti keep on being judged by their, by their governments. Mm. And they shouldn't. People are not their governments. And this is what I think connects. And I remember years ago, I, I did this PR, this, this um, interview was solely on PR, and they said, what are the two entities that need PR the most? And I said, Haiti and Israel. Mm -hmm. Because you have to be able to talk about something else than the government. You have to, because this is not who the people are. Mm -hmm. And the other example I give all the time is, Stephen Harper was Prime Minister of Canada for 10 years. Mm -hmm. The last thing I would want somebody to judge me based on Stephen Harper. <laughs> so it's the exact same thing, mm -hmm. right? So I mean. Haitian politics is um, un peu la maison des fous, souvent. But that is not who the people are at all. So, yeah. That's very interesting. Um, you had a pretty strict upbringing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that today, kind of seeing how kids are brought up? I feel very thankful. Don't tell my parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, my, it was strict in comparison to my friends. but. Um, like, I couldn't go out. I had a curfew, first of all, and it was 11. And How old are you when you have this curfew? Um, 16. It's not so bad. Okay, well, so. it's bad when your friends don't have a curfew, right? True. And so, and it's not 1101, it's 11. <laughs> like, you don't test, you don't test Haitian moms. It's, <laughs> you know, it's 11, and so, and <laughs> I can could, attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and I couldn't go out. It was either the Friday or the Saturday. There's no Friday and Two Saturday. Nights. What? No. And so, but I have to tell you that that um, some of the girls I went to school with that could go out all the time, I see them today. They're fried. You know, like you can tell there's some living there, right? Uh, <laughs> look how fresh you look. Like, um, but also I think my, you know, my parents were strict, but they were also. They also gave me all this space that I needed. Yeah. And my parents never wished me convention. And if you have kids, that's the best gift you can give them. 
So I never had the, when are you getting married? When are you having kids? Never. And that's um, it's a beautiful gift. You said something to me that I thought was so interesting. And you said, I wish I knew back then that being a late bloomer was a good thing. Ugh, yes. Well, I, I do think that blooming late is an advantage. I think what's very difficult is particularly for teenage girls is when you're not up to speed with your girlfriend. So I was a late bloomer. And first of all, I was the youngest in my, in my class, youngest in my crew. Um, and so when you're not, you know, I was the last one to do everything, right? And so I, there is some pressure in that. So that was, I, I did have a couple of years when I was a teenager when that was tough. I was like, man, am I ever going to catch up? Is this ever going to happen to me? Blah, blah, blah. But today, the reason why I, you know, I like getting up in the morning and getting to work is because I do feel like I'm just starting. Uh, I do feel like a kid. I really do. Uh, sometimes, you know, when I have to deal with adult stuff, I'm like, oh, no, like, you know, <laughs> I had to do my, um, my, uh, mon testament, which is, uh, quite an experience. And Very so, well. and I was like, my God, am I, is this time? Is this, <laughs> but I have to, yeah. I have no choice. But so I, I do think blooming late is an advantage. And, and the problem is we live, I think, in a time where, especially in my, when I was starting out, it was, well, you have to have the corner office by this age, and you have to have the, this car by this age, which is absolutely terrible. Yeah. So forget all that. It, it doesn't stand. It doesn't stand. Yeah. Uh, you left Montreal in '97. Yeah. You moved to Miami, and that's, I think, where your career really started, essentially. Uh, well, I in Miami, I was a project manager at yes. first for an investment group because I, in my previous life, I was in finance. The first year, I was a glorified copy machine person, because yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's all they made me do, copies But let's be real, stuff. you were also working for your uncle. The head of the company is my uncle, uh, which was, and I've always been very close to him, and he's always been extremely tough on me. Mm -hmm. So even uh, when I used to take summer jobs, he was very tough on me, and then he would call me and say, what classes are you taking this semester, and da 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 which was great. Um, the first year was tough because I was the only girl. I was no, I was one of the only girls. I was definitely the youngest, so I was I wasn't taking seriously. So the, actually, the first nine months were tough mm -hmm. because of that. But then I got more responsibility and started traveling to Latin America and the Caribbean a lot for work, which was great. Um, he gave you a lot of responsibility. A, a lot of responsibility, which he always has, right. right? And so, although he was very strict, very very tough, but that that was that was fine. And so I lived in Miami for four years. Mm -hmm. um, the first two years were, the, forget the first nine months. After that, it was fun because it's Miami, and I'm in my mid-20s and yeah. early 20s, and it's sunny all the time. And But then it got difficult because I was working. My superior was a girl who was, for lack of a better word, a total idiot. <laughs> I and believe so, you told me a total moron. Yes, total moron. And that's very difficult because you work for her. Yeah. That's my boss. That's and so she didn't want to teach me. She was she wasn't she wasn't kind. She wasn't a kind person and she wasn't smart. And so for me it was very difficult on the ego to say I'm working for somebody that has nothing to not that I knew everything, but who didn't want to teach me anything. 
And so, you know, at one point, I remember the first time I got in my car after work and I started crying. I said, my God, how long am I going to have to deal mm -hmm. with that? And then I said, okay, suck it up. And then the second time, you know, a year later that I cried in my car, I said, that's it, I'm out. And it's not that, bad, once a year, crying in your car? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good ratio. But that's the moment when I knew I, would never going to, I was never going to work for anybody ever again. So you said that. Yeah. You're in your mid-20s, and you make that decision that, you know what, I can't take this yeah. anymore. I'm going to be my own boss. I feel like there's probably a lot of people in their early 20s that go through no, by, that moment. By of then, like, I'm, I'm in my late 20s. Okay, yeah. so there, there still could have been the, this is a bad experience and it makes me want to go work for myself. But you held true to that, mm -hmm. and when you came home, you started Miracle. Yeah. And to this day, you continue to work for yourself. Yeah. Is it that same feeling that was kind of lit up at that moment that you still hold true today? Yes, but also what you realize, and that's, and I've spoken to other people that have their businesses. Once you have your business, what do you do? How, how do you go back to working for somebody? It's extremely difficult. Yeah. So it's a catch-22 because it's very tough to have your own business. It's, I, I, I always have a hamster running in my head. I'm always worried about something, always. So that's mm -hmm. been 15 years of always being worried, worried about something <laughs> I mean, at some time. I'm in year two. Does it get better? No. <laughs> and so uh, you handle it better. Uh, you know, you, you learn when to get a gin and tonic and just say, okay, uh, let me figure this out. But even for, for, and you know, I've been approached for, for jobs and I, and the, the list I always have to do is what am I ready to give up? What am I willing to give up? Mm -hmm. And so it, it's very difficult because um, um, sometimes it's, you know, getting a regular paycheck every two weeks is very appealing and, nice. and getting a, uh, you know, paid vacation is appealing, but you give up a lot of things. Mm. Yeah. You called it milagro, which, which means, means miracle. In Spanish. Why? I believe in miracles, I do. Uh, I believe in magic. I can't work with somebody that doesn't believe in magic. I can't work with somebody who doesn't believe in miracles. Uh, for me, miracles is not uh, Jesus walking on water. Uh, it's uh, finding a parking spot in old Montreal <laughs> is a miracle. So, <laughs> um, so no. So I, I, you know, I am a person of of, uh, of faith um, beyond religion, mm -hmm. spirituality. Yeah, and so that's why I called it that. And I, I was still very much in my post Miami days of Spanish, all you know. So. Awesome. Very trendy. Yes, I try. <laughs> uh, just so I can know, is there anybody here? Put up your hand if you work for yourself. Okay, not a lot. How, how did you start it off? I don't know if, you know, right now there's only three, four people that work for themselves. Maybe there's others that have considered working for themselves or would like to maybe explore that later. How do you make that decision and actually get it started? Um, the first step is the most difficult one. Um, I had done an internship in a big PR firm in Montreal when I was 17 or 18, and I had loved it. Mm. Um, and I was like, okay, th this is fun, this PR thing. And then I worked in Miami with investments, but I started a micro, micro, micro PR department in because we had nine companies that didn't speak to one another. So I kind of put together PR communication strategies so that the companies would, it was more internal communications and then external communication. And when I came back, I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I knew I wanted to work in pop culture, mm -hmm. but I knew I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't act, I can't do, so obviously I'm not <laughs> gonna be an artiste. I'm going to be 
and so I said, you know, I, I think I can merge my love of PR and communication with my love of pop culture. Mm -hmm. Applied for two grants, got them. So that was my seed money. And got uh, a couple of key people in my corner pretty early on. Yeah. And got a couple of breaks. And that's it. It's just been nonstop since. And then also, you have to work your ass off. I mean, there's no cutting corners. No. Um, yeah, so, so that too. If you don't work super hard, you just don't make money, so. You don't. No, yeah. you don't. <laughs> so it's really funny because you talk about pop culture, and I think a lot of people here, you know, we know you have a PR firm, but at the same time, you're probably more well-known for your, your commentary. And so you mm -hmm. write for different media outlets. You are guests, you know, a guest contributor in, in different outlets. How did that happen? Is that was that something that you made yourself? You were like, I'm good at this. I want to plug myself in these different outlets, no. or it kind of happened organically. Um, I don't know if if, if it's organically. Um, I, you know, it's it's very weird because the you know I remember the earthquake in Haiti for me was in so on so many levels was. Um, career changing because one of the things I've always done and this is before the earthquake and this is the best gift that my parents ever gave me was to travel to Haiti constantly since I was three years old. I remember my first trip to Haiti, I was three. And so I've always had this pride but I've always been on the defensive because people are always attacking Haiti. And so I've always defended it. Is that still true today? Yes, that's still true today. Yeah. And so they attack it on, without justification. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so I've always been a de facto ambassador for Haiti. So, if, for example, if you invite me at your house, for sure I'm going to bring Haitian rum, Haitian coffee, Haitian rum cake now because my <laughs> sister-in-law makes them. Um, so when the earthquake happened, I heard so much rubbish about mm -hmm. Haiti, and I was like, no, this can't, you know, this can't go on. So. By that time, I had made friends in the media. So I would call or email and say, you have to take this word out. It's not right. You can't, for example, you yeah. can't call people who are Haitian, who lost their homes, who are living in tents. You can't call them refugees. They're not refugees. Haiti is their house. It's their home. Yeah. And so for me, that was a big win because the, the Canadian press used the word refugee. And I wrote to the, to the head. I said, you can't call them refugee. It's wrong, and they stop using that word to describe people in tents. So for me, that was huge. And so, and I did a lot of adjustments like that, if you will. Yeah. And so, you know, I started doing commentary on what I could speak on, which was limited because I wasn't on the ground. Then from that, I started writing op-eds, and then it just grew from that because before, before the the earthquake in Haiti, I used to comment in the media, but on more limited things. Mm -hmm. and, and so it just grew from that. And, and it's very, and this is why, you know, when people tell you that luck has nothing to do with success, for me, I, that's one of, one of these things I, 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 I cringe when I hear it, because I think success is hard work, but it's a lot of luck as well. And if you don't recognize it, if you don't recognize that, I think that's bad faith. I know in my case, a lot of the good things that happen to me is luck, mm -hmm. pure luck. I mean, I'm on RDE every Saturday morning. It's, 
I, I didn't, they called me, they asked me, they yeah, said. Yeah, but if you suck, you wouldn't be on. I understand, but there are a lot of people that could do that job. So mm -hmm. for me, that's luck. I was ready for it, but it's also luck. Uh, and you have to recognize that, that you're, there are a lot of people that work really hard that don't do well. Mm -hmm. Why do you do well? Well, that's partly for, because of luck. There are a lot of people that, that have everything that it takes to start a business and their business still fails. Why, why do, do you succeed? Well, it's luck. It's luck. So, I mean, you have faced some hardships and some mm -hmm. controversy. So you talked a little bit about how you helped the president get yeah. elected. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a bit about that, Manny, because I think it's such an incredible experience that you had. Well, um, so as a debrief, there is a singer. His name is his his stage name is Sweet Mickey. His real name is Michel Martelly. Um, I, as a kid, I used to, to like him. I, I had the CDs. I you had were the, like a bit obsessed. Not obsessed, but I liked him. He was the most popular singer there was in uh, 1990. You know, I mean, he was it, he was huge. And one day I'm in Miami for the weekend. I, I kid you not, this is what happened. I'm at a dinner party. People are, and the day before he had announced his, his candidacy, people at the party where I, where I was were making fun of that. Oh mm -hmm. my God, quel crétin, quel imbécile, who does he think he is? Running for office, blah, 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 blah. I mean, that was the, the joke. We've now seen crazier things. Yeah, yes, we have. <laughs> the next day, I'm at the air, Miami airport, flying back to Montreal. I get a call from somebody I haven't spoken to in 15 years in Montreal. They say, we want you to run the campaign, do the PR. Will you do it? I was like, okay, uh, I'll get back to you after the flight. And then as soon as I hung up, I said, I have to do it. I have to do it. I mean, this is, and I did, and he was. Um, did you still have the autograph? I still had the autograph, yeah, because when I was 16, he autographed a CD for me in, in, uh, in Port-au-Prince. And for me, it was, but you have to re remember the time that it was. This is after the earthquake. Um, and he was ready willing, um, and it was a very fun experience. It was very difficult, a lot of, a lot of critics, you can imagine. See the critics he had last week, ten, times 10. And so, but it was, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a personage that you, that you see. Uh, it's somebody, his wife and him had been working 20 years in the dark, working with underprivileged kids, and nobody knew because they didn't want people to know, and so, that's my version of who he is. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other versions. I'm not excusing what, it, what he said and what he may or may not have said. But it was, you know, um, it was a mandate that showed me so many sides of people. There are people I thought were my friends who were completely disgusted by the fact that I took the mandate. And I was like, okay, all right, that's fine. Um, but he won and well. You told me that that taught you about loyalty too, because to this yep. day, he credits you with being elected. He is the most, one of the most loyal person that I know. And I have been at events when, but you have to realize we, we did, we, he started in Canada because he knew how important the Haitian community was here. And so, you know, he got the, his first big interviews here and then they went viral. And then there's a foreign group that took over to, to, to really, to frame the, to, yeah, to frame the, the campaign and it took over, which is fine, which is normal. And I have been at events where there are three, four, five hundred people and if he sees me uh, um, in the crowd, he's gonna stop, he's gonna say it started all with her. And, I've, and he's done this at least five times. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, 
So you have clearly this very strong link to Haiti, mm -hmm. and to the point where you were even offered a position as the Consul General yeah. d'Haïti à Montréal, yeah. and you turned it down because you would have had to give up my Canadian um, citizenship. Yeah, which I would never do. This it's my, you what, know, I, I would never do that. What does being a Canadian mean to you? I don't know that there's a better passport to have. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know that there's a better country to live in. Um, it doesn't mean it's perfect, but look at what we fight for, uh, fight about here. Right. It's risible when you compare it to what other countries are fighting about. And um, when I lived away, I was very homesick. I used to come back every other weekend. To when Canada, you were living in Miami? Miami yeah. And so, I would never give up, never give up my Canadian citizenship, ever. So you have this PR firm. Mm -hmm. You've been doing this for 15 years. You do not have any permanent employees. No, freelancers only. Does that mean that you can't delegate, or what? What is that process? Yes. What have you heard? <laughs> <laughs> do we need to talk about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true that I. I'm not good at uh, delegating, um, but also it's a business model that works for me to mm -hmm. hire freelancers. I, it's, it's usually the same freelancers. And also, I've personalized my, my firm so much that when I get a mandate, it's, you know, it's... They're hiring you. Yeah, and so, for example, I, I had a client which was a Conseil des Arts de Montréal, and it was, I was, it was me and I was at their office three days per week. You know, that was, that was the gig. so tricky, though, those mandates, I find. Well, it was good for me because it was, I could pick the days. Um, and so that was nice. And then, uh, and then uh, they fired me. And, oh, yeah, it's all right. Okay. Well. Uh, <laughs> after you, two years. After two years. Oh, say bad sick. Um, and you don't, you're not afraid of burning out? Uh, no. Well, I mean, you have to realize Saturdays and Sundays for me. I mean, I, I live Saturdays and Sundays like Hugh Hefner. I am in my robe <laughs> all day. I, I, I don't... For Commenting me, on RDE. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After RDE, I'm, I, I'm on RDE at from 8.30 to 8.50. 9.30, I'm in bed. <laughs> so... Uh, by 9.30, I'm home, makeup, makeup is off, I'm back in my... Actually. Back in my... But you're uh, all done up, just go do something. No, no. And so, for me, Saturdays and Sundays are sacred. Yeah. Uh, I catch up on sleep, I, I, I don't want activities, I don't want, you know... A, a lot of times if somebody says, uh, uh, do you want to hang out Saturday night? And I always say, what is out there that I don't have in my house? <laughs> uh, you know, sell me on that and maybe I'll go out. So no, I, I'm, if you see me out on a Saturday, Saturday night or Sunday night, go buy a lottery ticket because that <laughs> happens very, very, very rarely. I'm, I really am a homebody. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, so, no, so the burnout is, I, I mean, I work all the time. But you do take the time for But yourself. I recuperate Saturdays and Sundays, uh, I mean. That's important. Never leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, we talked about something when we met and I thought was actually quite interesting. Um, you know, there's a huge movement around inclusiveness and diversity and all of that. Mm -hmm. And we've seen movements around Black Girl Magic, Black History Month. And you would think that somebody like you would be kind of all for it. And you're completely against it. Well, it's... 
completely against it. I think it's dangerous to use mm -hmm. the term black girl magic. The hashtag, I, and I, I recognize the sentiment, I get that. I think yeah. we have to think long term. And I think, you know, the history of the hashtag, part of the history of the hashtag is the gymnast, Simon Biles, who won in Rio mm -hmm. a bunch of medals. And so the hashtag started, Black Girl Magic. And I said to myself, there's nothing more universal than the Olympics. There's not a sport more um, that young girls look up more than look up to more than gymnastics. So imagine if you have a nine-year-old white gymnast who loves Simon uh, Simone, loves her, yeah. and then all she hears is this black girl magic. So I find that the the intent, I get the intention. I think the result in the long term might be dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so it's just magic. Why do we have to segregate the magic? How would you feel if it was girl magic? Same. Same, right? Yeah. I, and the problem is we sometimes it's jam in our throats so much, these types of expressions. We hear them all the time. Elles sont déclinées, on les voit tout le temps. But I think and it'd be interesting to talk to a sociologist about this. Mm -hmm. Et même un anthropologue. We have to think about the long term. And even, I remember when, I think I was in my 20s when the term African-American came to be mainstreamed. And at the time, Whoopi Goldberg was very much against it because she said, you can't, the hyphen separates us. And she goes, you're either an American or you're not. But it's been so mainstream that we don't even think about That's it anymore. That's the thing, we don't think about no. it. And so, just, I know the, your next guest is Kim Tree, the, the author. And I kind of cringe when I hear... Asian Canadian. No, when I, when I hear um, Afro-literature. Or when I hear so-and-so is a black author. No, yeah. he's an author who happens to be black. Totally. So I think we have to... And believe me, I've received all type of tomatoes for that and all the vitriol, and I'm ready for it. That's fine. Um, you don't think it's in an effort to go, you go here so the, you can come back? I get the intent, but yeah. the thing is, um, you can, it's either you give adjectives to, des adjectifs à tous ou des adjectifs à personne. Uh -huh. So nobody says of Kim Tui's literature that it's Asian Canadian literature, because it isn't. It's literature she happens to be totally. of Asian origin, but it's a very difficult dialogue to have. Uh, because my, I don't want to, uh, am I proud to be black? I couldn't be prouder. I love it. Mm -hmm. You know, that, being black comes with its load of uh, uh, medals for me. And, but do I want to be called a black publicist? No. I'm a publicist who happens to be black. Totally. And so black girl magic for me, it's in this, this realm of let's think about it before we keep on using it. But that's me. I mean, if you're black and you want to call your type of magic black girl magic, go ahead. That thing, that's fantastic. But you can't assume that we all want that. We don't. And it's the same thing with uh, lady boss and girl boss and the whole, yeah. that whole type of... Yeah, there's something a little bit like... But, yes, but a lot of women like it. So that's, that's why I say if it's good for you, you use it for yourself. But you can't use it for, the, for tout le, 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 le genre. Je pense que ça, c'est injuste de faire ça. You know?
So kind of connected to that, um, you're an entrepreneur, you're in a service business. Mm. Probably one of the hardest things is to figure out, both as a human, but in your job, your worth. And yep. you ended up going through this process when somebody approached you, and you mentioned this briefly earlier, uh, about coming to work for them, and you're like, yeah. okay, well, how would I quantify that? Yeah, it's so what, tough. Can, what can you tell us about learning to qualify your, your worth? I, I think it's extremely difficult. I, I, um, I struggle with that sometimes because I, you know, sometimes I, I wonder, am I getting paid the same that if, if I were a male? The, st statistically, the answer is no. Okay? That's the statistics. Women are paid less for the exact same job. That's the way it is. Uh, so I struggle with that. It's tough. Um, you know, I have a client, when I started working with them, after two weeks, he said, are you going to get pregnant? Oh, what's the story? And so it's these types of reminders and that, and so I think the, the struggle, being a woman, is it's, it's a never-ending struggle, a never-ending never fight. Um, no one asks the guy, what's your work-life balance like? No. Nobody has that. Like, no. it, it's insane. I mean, it's, it's weird because we're in these patterns. It's when, when um, and I know this is not supposed to be politics, but when Hillary ran against Donald Go Trump, for it. They, did a break, <laughs> they did a breakdown of the media coverage Trump got versus the media coverage that Hillary got. So we're not even talking about the, the, the type of coverage because mm -hmm. that's a whole different conversation. Donald Trump got much more coverage than Hillary. And this there morning... There was more material. Yeah, there was more, more material, but you live in a time where the more exposure you got, you yeah. get, the better it is for you. Good right? press, bad press. Exactly. And so this morning, they did a breakdown already. And so we've, we, we know we all made this mistake in, in 2016. We know what it resulted in, and we're doing it again. So you have... All these women that have declared themselves Democratic candidates. And who gets the most media attention? Beto O'Rourke gets mm -hmm. the most media attention. Why? Because he's very handsome. He could be a Kennedy. He looks like he could be a Kennedy. And he's tall and he's telegenic. And you have all these women combined have received less coverage than Beto O'Rourke. So we're repeating the same mistake. You think that Hillary didn't get elected because she didn't get enough coverage? Uh, no, but. First of all, she got three million more votes, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> I th no, I think there. I think the Hillary is a whole different. We could we could do a university thesis on why Hillary lost, but that is one of the factors mm -hmm. for sure. Um, you said to me that you kind of believe that when you get an opportunity, this is something you learned in your career. You don't turn it down. If it's something that you think that you can do, you just go for it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people love to say, oh, just fake it till you make it. Yeah, which is not the same thing. So explain to us the difference of what you mean by that. Well, fake it till you, till you make it, which is a terrible, by the way, expression. It's one of these things that, again, we've mainstreamed so much, we think it makes sense. Hashtag? Yeah, it, it doesn't. <laughs> fake it till you make it is really that you can't do it. <laughs> That's what it is. It means you'll figure it out. No. For me, figure it out. That's not what it means. Because it, it, there are really people that take that like literally. You know, I'm not a doctor, but <laughs> I'll examine you. Um, so no, I think, and, and you know, I could write a book on all the regrets that I have, tome one to ten, <laughs> one through ten. But one of the regrets that I have is um, 
you know what, I, I had this CBC show with my best friend, it was national, and it ended um, Labor Day two years ago. And the heads of CBC sa said to us, hey, do you guys want to become a regular show starting in three weeks? And we were so burned out because this, isn't, this wasn't our day job. You said no. We said we can't do it now. It won't be good, we're not ready, blah, blah. Guess what happened, the show never came back. Yeah. Yeah, regrets, big time. Can you go back to them now? No. Oh. Well, no, not like that. I mean, we're still in very good terms, but my point is that there was an opportunity and we thought we had it in the bag, that, that they were gonna wait for us. Surprise, joke's on us. They did not. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think there are opportunities that, and what I realize with age, I, 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 don't like, I don't like getting older, I hate it, but there are some uh, um, advantages is that if you're not so attached to the picture, the image that you have. And when I was in my 20s, I had a five-year plan that I kept on readjusting. And what's dangerous with, with that is that you're so scotch-taped to an idea that you're close to the other opportunities mm -hmm. that could be happening to you. And so what I'm trying to learn to do now is to let go of some of those ideals and say, okay, what else? You know. Oh, you want me to try? I will try that. So I'm, I'm less, I'm more flexible, which is very new to me, because I, I can be very rigid, and it's worked out good. So I wish I had started doing that much, much, much sooner. All right. I love something that you said to me, that you see the... Was I drunk in the... Absolutely. It was 10 a.m., by the way. Again. <laughs> exactly. Um, you said, I see the flute half full. Always. I find that so cute. Well, I, I'm an optimist. I think you have to be. Um, I think it's, I think some people have it so much worse. You know, I think there are people that are in impossible situations. Um, Do you find yourself today going back to thinking about your parents and what they, it may have been like for them? Because you mentioned it always, earlier. But well, I mean, I have to tell you that for me, you know, I had exceptional parents. My father died 10 years ago. My mom is still very much my, 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 my model, my hero. Mm -hmm. I have, I've never looked at myself before and said, okay, I'm a child of immigrant. That was never part of my internal my, dialogue. No, it was, and then when we started collectively as a society attacking immigrants, mm. Then I kind of said, well, no, I have to step in because this is who we are. And so you, we became, for me, Canada and Quebec went from being the province and the country that accepted my parents and gave them all these opportunities to then give my brother and I all these opportunities as well, to being a province and a country that attacked marginalized people who crossed over the border with a suitcase. Do you know how hardcore you have to be mm -hmm. to cross by foot with a suitcase and a kid on your arm? Yeah. And we became a province that elected a government that marginalized these people? Well, no, I have to defend it because you have to realize what it means for, an for somebody to say, I'm gonna leave everything that I know and come somewhere, go somewhere where maybe I don't talk the language, I know no one, 
The only thing you can do is bow to these people and say, welcome, we're going to give you a chance. And so I find myself today, and I don't know in what format, but I know I'm going to have to be, do more social activism. It's a perfect segue to my next question. Yeah, which was? <laughs> What's next for you? What's next? I mean, for sure I'm going to stay in, in PR and media. That's, I love it. That's my passion. I am right now in a, in a moment where I'm, I say to myself every day, you can't just tweet that you're pissed about something. You, know? you have to do more. And so I don't have the courage to be a politician. Because I think you give up so much when you're a politician. I don't have this, and plus I don't have this, this need to be, you know. But I am right now thinking about how am I going to support the next president, or the next prime minister, or the next. So I'm looking at who's might be uh, um, running, and I'm going to. Insert myself in that. Because I find that we are in a moment where voting is not enough. Mm -hmm. And plus, our, the percentage of people who vote in Canada and Quebec is embarrassing. We don't vote enough. We take it for granted. What's the percentage? Too low. It should be 100%. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find this moment to be, I was saying before, it's the most beautiful country to be in. I do believe that. I do believe that a lot of the things we, we fight over or or about is, you know, we're not we're not arguing about whether or not we have boots in the boots on the ground in Afghanistan, and so we don't have. But still, I find that le sort qui est réservé aux, 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 aux nouveaux immigrants, je trouve que c'est terrible, et je trouve que c'est pas digne de qui on est. Et euh, en tant que fille d'immigrante, je dois absolument défendre ce que ça veut dire être un immigrant. Uh, there's not one immigrant that, that wants to come to Canada to jack your car. That's not, nobody crosses the border and say, I'm going to go to Canada to commit crime. Yeah. I'm not saying some of them are not criminals. They become criminals probably. But it has a lot more to do with how you welcome them and, and the life they But have. I find that, you know, for us to say, you know, these people are bad, they're coming. Listen, they left something really bad to come here. That's why they're coming by foot with a luggage. And I, and I want us to continue to be sensitive to that. And I find that sometimes we're not. Well, we look forward to seeing what you'll be able to do. Yeah, me in too, that because I, I don't know what it is. So, me too, I'm looking forward to it. Keep us posted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know this probably was like not the easiest thing for you because you're so used to talking either about something else, something <laughs> else, not yourself, yeah. or putting other people at the forefront. So, we really appreciate you coming Thank here you so and much. sharing about Thank your you. journey. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for joining us for another Alcove, your favorite nomad microconference. Join us next time for another intimate Alcove talk in person or right here. For more information, follow us on alcovemoments.com. Merci d'avoir été des nôtres dans cette microconférence nomade Alcove. Joignez-vous à nous pour la prochaine conférence. Visitez alcovemoments.com pour tous les détails.